Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 31. How are you guys? Doing awesome. Doing the awesomes. So, uh, which one of you got a new phone? I got a new phone. Alex, did you pull off? I'm holding off for now. Okay. I might change my mind and cave and get a a 6S or 6S Plus. Kind of depends on how much that uh, this 3D touch changes the way people... Well, I can tell you that my prediction is it's going to confuse the hell out of a bunch of non-technically <laughs> savvy people. That's how it's going to change the way they use yeah. their phone. Some folks were saying it's pr- pretty easy to discover, like... Yeah, because most of the built-in apps support it already. Most of them. doesn't take long to get to the point where you almost expect it of the application. I'll tell you the killer feature for me, and this is something that they had in, in the iOS 9 Beta 2, uh, but it got removed. So when they demoed at WWDC, they showed on the iPad where you could take two fingers and swipe over and move the cursor around in the text box. Well, mm. they added that back in, but with Force Touch. So if you force touch on the keyboard, I should say 3D touch on the keyboard. Either way, I don't like that either one of those terms much. Well, I think force touch, you know, it seems like an HR issue more, <laughs> more than a, a technical feature. It seems negative. Yeah. But yeah. Three, 3D touch is hard to say. Deep press. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just give up know. now. <laughs> I think the marketing department's struggling with that one. Yeah. But if you do that on the keyboard, that, that weird pressy thing, and you can then move the, the uh, cursor around. And it's pretty nice. I like it. So, and I guess, as you can tell, I did cave in and get one. It arrived on Friday, and actually at a decent time, too. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I like some of the conveniences that 3D Touch affords me on, on my new phone, but I don't know, like especially on the springboard where there's already a long press gesture to do the the wiggle thing where you can move your folders around. It it just it's too easy to to accidentally do that versus, you know, get the shortcut menu on an app icon and I've gotta imagine for for other people it's just gonna be even worse. Uh, I got a six and I have Safari down in the bottom right corner of the dock there. And it's a little tricky to get the force touch to work on that one. Uh, sometimes it works. Other times I, I do get the weekly icons. And so, But if I'm doing it two-handed, it usually works all the time. But one-handed, not so much. And that's on a six. Maybe they just need to get rid of the uh, wiggle gesture and the third level of 3D touch initiates it or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's the first generation of this. Well, I guess maybe second if you count the watch. Yeah. But I think the watch is a different technology. Or at least the way they described it when they demoed the watch, they didn't quite talk about it in the same way that they talk about it with the phone. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but the the coolest thing to me about my new phone, I got the 6S Plus, and, and maybe I just didn't realize how sluggish my old phone was, but this thing is just so much faster. Uh, I, I mean, things are staying in, in memory longer, like Safari web pages and stuff like that. That that one gigabyte limitation was hurt me more than it was than I thought it was, and I don't know if you've tried this, Sam, but the combination of the better processor and the new Touch ID sensor, 
it's I've I've not gotten it to be able to touch the home button without it unlocking my phone on a finger that I have touch ID enrolled in. Yeah, it's super fast. I'm I'm really amazed. I had this whole gesture worked out where I'd put my phone in my pocket a certain way, then I'd reach it in and I'd make sure that my thumb ended up on the touch ID sensor and I'd pull out my phone and then by the time I'd have my phone up in front of my face, the phone was unlocked. Now I don't even have to do that at all. It it's too fast. I can't read the notifications at all. Yeah, yeah, that's something I've noticed. Like even before this device, you know, it was always kind of with the Touch ID. It, it's too easy to unlock your phone and miss your notification. Sounds like that's even a bigger problem. I'll just wait until you get your next phone. Yeah. yeah. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I, maybe I just need to train myself to get the lock screen up by hitting the whatever the button yeah. is power. on the side, the power button. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking that's what I'm gonna have to do now. It's harder it with the, good. the success. Plus, but yeah. So, so according to Apple, they sold 13 million new iPhones in that first week, setting a, a new record. Now, is that a record for like S devices, or is that a record for all iPhones? Because I thought they shattered their record with the six last time. Part out. So the in, the interesting thing is with the the 5S and 5C when they, those came out, and the 6S and 6S Plus when those came out. China was a launch country last year when the 6 came out and the 6 Plus, it was not. So there was no China last year in those record-breaking sales. So I wonder if China had been included last year for launch, if it would have been similar. Yeah, it is a much bigger part of the business these days. and They're, they're definitely focusing stronger, or more and more on China. It almost makes you wonder, though, like if they alternate years for when when they'll launch in China on launch day so that it keeps increasing. I'm not sure how long they can hold that pattern if that's really what they're trying to do, but it was kind of <laughs> an interesting thing that happened. Well, they they made the statement that the iOS 9 upgrade adoption rate was or the adopt the iOS 9 adoption was better than any other previous OS before. Now they say adoption because they're counting the number of devices, and the number of devices is a lot bigger. But if you look at the adoption rate from six to seven. That just blew anything out of the water, and they haven't come close to that yet. Yeah, it seems like they're trying to change some t- statistics around and with some yeah. dubious wordplay with, with the <laughs> iOS 9 activation stuff. Yeah, they claimed 50% adoption within the first few days. Of active devices. That was the yeah. little asterisk I and think then, they had in there. Yeah, it was just uh, <laughs> the last few days, Mixpanel has iOS 9 at better than 50%, which is good. I mean, definitely a lot better than iOS 8 at the Yeah, the kind yeah. of the most annoying part to me is just looking at the statistics on mixed panel on my own is that the number of iOS 7 devices has not dropped off nearly as much as I hoped it would. It's down like 1 or 2% from like, I don't know, maybe 9 or 10% before iOS 9 came out. And I normally target lower than that to, to drop support, but Apple doesn't really let you keep supporting three OS versions, so... May just have to suck it up and yeah. say, see you later, iOS 7. I think we're starting to adopt that philosophy with more and more apps. The current minus one. You know, it's hard to adequately support three versions of the OS 
Well, and when you're counting your, your seven usage, are you counting people that are on the current version of the app or at least a relatively current version of the app or just everybody? So I've, I've looked at new users in the past couple of days and that looks a little bit better than kind of all user sessions. But even with users in the past couple of days, there hasn't been a significant drop off. And yeah, see, I, I like to look at not just, not just new users, but current users and current users using the most current version of the app within, you know, a point release. As long as they're using something that's current within the last few months or so, then I'll take that and then see what the OS usage rate is. If it's less than 5%, it's definitely a candidate for dropping. Yeah, that's usually where we started looking at it in the past was 5% or lower. Yeah, that was kind of my benchmark too, but it's kind of impossible to even support at this point because if you want to upgrade to the latest version of OS 10, they only give you current version and the last version, like like Alex was saying before, of simulator support. And it's hard to keep devices around because Apple stopped signing the old version. So unless you're you're running an older OS and you can even possibly support three different versions of iOS. It's just impossible, much less feasible in terms of like testing and manpower and all that stuff. Oh yeah, the the manpower just it becomes a law of diminishing yeah. returns. Yeah, you know, very fast. Definitely differences in behavior between the, each OS. The opportunity for things to go wrong increases the more versions that you support and the more devices. Now, the nice thing now, been this way for a while, if somebody has an older version, they can still get the last supported version of the app from the app store so it's not like you're cutting them off completely you're just not sending updates as long as that old version still functions you still have a little bit of support for them yeah the trend in a lot of indie apps yeah the the trend in a lot of indie apps lately like overcast and even like one password which isn't that indie but they come out with their new version and they just support the latest os like the current version of one password that's out there only supports ios 9 which Kind of surprised me, but I'm guessing they they're figuring that if it's someone who's interested in their in their app, then they'll have the latest OS, and I'm assuming they have data to back that up. That's kind of what I was looking at, trying to get the whatever new users are using. But that's that's kind of interesting to me. It makes makes me wonder if I should take that approach rather than just doing the last two versions. Just say forget it. I'm just doing iOS nine only. Well, I think they definitely have more of a cutting edge user base. And, that and is it, fair. That is fair. <laughs> my my users are not the most... For them, the old version is not going to stop working in most cases. It's just if you want the new features, you've got to be on the, the latest OS. and That's probably a fine approach for a, a good percentage of applications out there. There are some that are like that are heavy, heavily dependent on APIs, and if those APIs change in a way that would break an older version, then things start getting... A little more interesting and you almost want to cut off support for those older versions well that's always something like one password that has very little dependency on an api they don't have to worry about it too much right but they're a small group and as we said that's mm-hmm. overhead for them and if somebody can get a decently working version of their app you know they're not going to lose a sale because they don't support ios 8 anymore they can people can still buy that version right yeah so it makes sense, really, because you're cutting down on your overhead, and as a small business, that's what you need to do. Yeah, I think where it gets tricky is if there is a, a defect in an older version or something that, that starts to be an issue, you know, supporting the folks on the older version. 
I mean, then I guess your only answer at that point is you need to upgrade to Microsoft and IBM and companies like that. You know, that's usually the first response. You need to upgrade to the latest version. So maybe that's fair. Yeah, speaking of the, the different APIs and stuff that having to support, have you guys looked at all at the 3D Touch APIs? Not yet. This is probably the first time I've ever had to return no from the app did finish launching hmm. in the app delegate. And that's how you get the little home screen icons to go up. Yeah, it is pretty neat. Um, I haven't touched it too much or messed with it too much. It's just kind of the, the buzz around the office. I know you can add like dynamic lists in there too. So you can you can do it with a P list and add some st static entries. And then uh, you can also do it with, I guess, I don't know if you do it in the app that finished launching or where, but you can have a dynamic list like your latest contacts that you've contacted or or whatever in there so it's, that's i think it's going to be neat just we'll see it could go yeah i feel like the watch has gone kind of the way of the gimmick i don't find myself using watch apps anymore at all just what's built in and there's a couple of good ones that i might continue to use i think um you know some of the running apps and i've got a connected scale that has a watch app could be better it doesn't always give me up-to-date information i think i've heard dark skies is pretty good on the watch okay you know I, I still think the number of truly relevant use cases for a watch is pretty small and yeah finding apps that figuring out what those use cases are and finding apps that do that well is, is difficult but i think we'll see what? over time a few rise to the top yeah it was interesting that work the point was made that the watch, even though it's such a small screen, you still need to use two hands to use it. Yeah, you. <laughs> it, it's not like a phone. Yeah, you. Uh, you know, you can't be on your bicycle and using your watch at the same time. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Have you guys not heard about the nose touch? I, I thought about <laughs> that. I was, uh, you know, I forgot to start my workout before I started biking, and I was trying to like coordinate set starting the workout <laughs> on the watch while I'm still on the bike and. That wasn't a good idea. Not only yeah, have I, I thought about so. it, but I've executed successfully the nose touch. I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe you should <laughs> give it a shot because it, it is a legit thing. <laughs> Do you use your tongue for the digital crown too? <laughs> or do you have to draw the line somewhere? That probably wouldn't work as well. But <laughs> nose touch actually works. Believe me. Just try it out. <laughs> report back next week. There, there's, a, there's other podcasts. There's other podcasts who have talked about this in, in great detail. But you guys should give it a shot. See if it works. No, I think I'll try to keep my watch as oil-free as possible. That's yeah. fine. You can say ignorant, Sam. It's all good. <laughs> Ignorance <laughs> is bliss in this case. <laughs> I don't need people asking me what I'm doing to my watch. Yeah, so it is pretty interesting about the iOS 9 adoption, though. I mean, we did say that the statistics were kind of strange, but we did pass 50% adoption. Yeah, or I should say iOS 9 adoption did surpass ios 8 over la the weekend or well actually last thursday from according to mix panel and that is faster than ios 8 it's uh, not faster than ios 7 overtaking 6 but it's still pretty quick you know what apple needs to do really is come out with a uh, apple tv companion app that's only good for ios 9 and not ios 8 and then we'll see if people upgrade when they buy all their apple tvs i don't know if that's going to be that many people but 
I think I think the seven yeah. devices out there are primarily the devices that don't support eight and nine. And there's probably some curmudgeons that read that iOS eight had issues, so they stuck with seven. But the only ones that don't support nine are the iPhone four yeah. and the original and, iPad. Yeah. Yeah. But those are so, there's a lot of both of those devices sold. Yeah. It was the introduction of the Retina display and the introduction of the iPad, which sold a crap load. Yeah. Well, and the Mini, which is an A5 chip, does support iOS 9, and I updated mine finally because I, I was keeping it on 7, but there's a test device, and I just said, I'm, I'm not going to worry about it anymore. But it went smoothly. It seems to be decent. Yeah, uh, there's trying to think if one of the iPod touches is stuck on seven, but the fourth generation one, which is the one before the the longer one, that would have been stuck on six. The one before this but, very latest release could do seven and eight, but it's a yeah, really it underpowered. Yeah, and the new one isn't that a A8 based or A7 at least? Yeah, it's 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 a decent device. It can it can handle it. That other the generation before that just barely can handle it, I think, and even then, it's it feels very sluggish. You know, so we did a Apple TV hack day at the Atomic Robot headquarters. You guys want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we had a pretty good turnout. There were seven or eight of us, and you know, we got together for a day to see what we could do with the Apple TV. Some people brought existing apps that they were porting over to the Apple TV, and uh, uh, several of us were trying out new apps, uh, mostly game-related. But, Sam, you were probably the only person doing something that wasn't a game. Yeah, I was just trying out a little video player app, kind of a proof of concept. Yeah, the, the folks that were porting their existing games, they actually didn't have too much trouble getting it onto the Apple TV. We had... Four of the dev kits in the office, so people were able to play around with them and and try out their apps on the actual TV, which makes a huge difference from the whole input, you know, getting a feel for that. The remote is way different to work with, you know, the physical remote versus like the virtual remote in the simulator. And I, th I think that's where people spent most of their time was figuring out how to work with the remote and handle the input and to deal with things like direction and and velocity of of swipes and uh uh one of the game developers experimented with different ways of handling uh the gestures and it was it was nice because he had a room full of people that could come and do some beta testing and give him feedback live while he was working on it so i think he'll probably be ready to ship on day 1 of the Apple TV assuming he decides that it's good enough gameplay to ship yeah. that was his biggest issue i think was is one of these control schemes actually good enough to make people want to play the app but yeah i was i was impressed we had i think three kind of existing game apps there that people were trying to port and two of them got done super quick and like you said we we're just playing around with other stuff now the last one was was my game apps and i spent half of my time working on some of those aforementioned bugs uh, but but then I started working on getting my app to compile on iOS or TVOS nine. I, I guess it's called TVOS nine because it's pretty much the nine 
SDK, but uh, it was kind of interesting to me that they a lot of things that they've deprecated in iOS 9 or earlier, they actually just said, all right, we're not going to have that anymore. You have to use <laughs> the new stuff, which was which was fun for me. I still had a bunch of UI alert views, and those are gone completely. You have to use alert controllers. There's one other thing I think that was they got rid of completely. I forget what it was. Well, I was dealing with a lot of WebKit removal, too. There are some things that are are there, but they're not supported, and they don't actually work too uh, I tried to mess around a little bit with um, handoff with the Apple TV and come to find out after reading the forums that it's not supported and in a later release at least in the documentation it'll say don't do that which to me that kind of that kind of takes away some of the opportunities for like second screen interactivity yeah so developers are gonna have to get a little bit more creative so you're watching a video on one device and you want to pick it up on another it seems like a... Yeah, handoff seems like a natural natural thing for tvOS, but I guess the one area where it doesn't seem quite natural is that like your your phone or your tablet is more of a personal device, but a TV is potentially just like a shared experience, so like, I don't know, you don't want, let's say you have four people sitting around watching TV, you don't want all of their apps to to pop up in the little thing that you can pick from to, <laughs> to launch or whatever. Well, I could see it being a one way from the Apple TV to a device. I definitely wouldn't yeah. want to see little pop up icons on my Apple TV saying, Hey, so-and-so is playing a game of whatever. <laughs> and right. I'll tell you another weird thing is that I've all my life. I've been developing UI where people can move a cursor or pointer somewhere and click or tap or whatever. And that's not there anymore. So it feels like you're working with this phantom limb that doesn't do anything yeah, anymore. You know, you don't have that precision touch or target. You've got to cycle through focus of controls and or leverage gestures to have some indication of what you want to select. But it's not. There's no precision. Yeah, it's it's very much kind of like an old mainframe dumb terminal where you had to tap through everything. So like a game like Clash of Clans, I've said before, probably wouldn't work well. Or I was thinking like Minecraft on the Apple TV. That probably wouldn't be a very good experience, even with a game controller. That would still be pretty bad, I think. We did get right. a beta, beta 2, last week. Actually, right in the middle of the hack day. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that kind of slowed people down a little bit during the hack day. Was you know everybody was pulling down new bits. No, well, we we shared it around. We had one guy, two people pulling them down and and shared it around. And then later, a few days later, we got the update to Test Flight and iTunes Connect, and now and uh, after doing a system reboot on the actual device, we've got Test Flight for Apple TV which in theory is, is a good thing that we can share test builds with others. The weird thing is, and Alex, correct me if I'm wrong on this, it's only internal tester. Yeah, so others is with a little asterisk which is, by it, I think. Which, which is a little <laughs> bit odd because you were only allowed one dev kit per team, so in, in theory you <laughs> should only have one. So sharing test builds wouldn't make a whole lot of sense, but I'm sure there are 
exceptions to that rule. Well, I mean, it took until iOS 9 got released uh, for us to be able to share iOS 9 builds externally on on test flights. So it seems like a weird, weird policy decision by Mm -hmm. Apple, but it doesn't seem that out of character either, just just because of their kind of penchant for secrecy in the past. Well, I think... But before you had third parties like Crashlytics and... They don't seem to have an Apple TV app that we're right. allowed to use. Yeah, I don't... yeah, well, and that still works. I mean, you can do that for phone, but for watch and, and TV, I don't think there's an alternative method that is even, that even exists. I mean, I think they're just keeping the like provisioning profile-based stuff around for for legacy Yeah, and for enterprises. Yeah, I think we're going to soon see that test flight's going to be pretty much the only option only really viable option for delivering builds, ad hoc builds, between managing IDs, provisioning profiles, the whole bit code, re-symbolicating crash reports. You know, there's all these things. Uh, on-demand resources, you have to go through test flight if you want to have that work with beta testers. So more and more is really, looks like you're... <laughs> almost going to be forced to use test flight that's not necessarily bad well it's weird that they they've kind of made decisions along those lines as well whether just because of technological limitations or or maybe they were intentional but then with xcode 7 if anything is a non-beta sdk you can build and run on your device without any developer membership at all Uh, it just the those two things seem kind of at odds with each other I haven't really figured out what what Apple's trying to do there. Although, so so one app that I definitely think Apple will will never uh, accept in the App Store is one that we discovered of a certain class of apps that are kind of out there and open source for the Apple TV. Uh, there's now a Mame emulator, so you can play your your old or semi old uh, arcade games on your Apple TV with your game controller. We'll put a I'll link in the show notes to that, but that that goes along with provenance, which which let you pay play a lot of old console games. So if you like old games, maybe uh, Apple TV is a a good purchase for you. I don't know. Not that we're encouraging any software piracy or anything like that. Well, of course you're just gonna get use games that you already have in your home, like all the cabinets in your basement and stuff. So, right, right. <laughs> and those old cartridges that you had to blow on. So we do want to call out. Give a little shout out to a friend of the show. He's given us quite a few uh, call outs in his newsletter, uh, Daryl Nicholas from iOS Learning Weekly. I always want to plug his newsletter because honestly, it's a pretty good newsletter. I, I look forward to it. Uh, he did have a busy week last last week or the week before last, and couldn't put it put one out. And I I noticed I missed it. So yeah, uh, I like it. Definitely a good newsletter, and we encourage everybody to check it out. Yeah, it's difficult to keep up with everything that's going on, you know, following blogs, listening to podcasts. These newsletters are actually pretty handy to kind of curate some of the best content and and share it with you on a weekly basis. It arrives in your inbox. Daryl's newsletter is focused on learning as he's going through the process of learning iOS development. He's sharing things that he's found useful to, to help him along the way so I recommend people check it out so not only is he receiving a lot of good things but he's managing to give back to the community as well so definitely a good thing we thank you daryl for your newsletter 
And we do miss it when you miss a week. I want to do a quick follow-up correction to our app of the week last week. Uh, Marcello, or Marcello, Marcello, whichever it was. We didn't get a correction on that part, but he is not from Melbourne. He is from Sydney, Australia. Not sure if there's a big rivalry down there about that or not, but just wanted to call out that little correction. Right. And so we've got an app of the week from Okie Doke Studios. It's a songwriting app called VCVCBC. Uh, if you like to write songs, uh, this is a nice, clean songwriting app uh, that's available now for the iPad and iPhone. Yeah, not too long ago, he released a version 2.0 of the app. Yeah, completely redesigned and updated. Yeah. Uh, VC, VC, BC. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. Thank you. So if you if you write songs, you know what that is. If you're like me and don't write songs, it takes a little bit to remember. But yeah, it's a great app. He definitely puts his life into it. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in this app. You can tell just from the way it feels and works. And there's a lot of songwriting apps out there these days. This one's nice and clean. It doesn't, you know, it's not overly complicated, easy to use. So check it out. And he does have another app, Argo. Have you played with that one? Uh, yes, I have. It, his One of his other apps is called Flippy Bard. I, I think he created at a, a game jam back back right after uh, Flappy Bird was super popular. I think it was actually a game jam of all Flappy Bird clones. But his is called <laughs> Flippy Bard, and it's a little bard dude like a Shakespeare. medieval Shakespearean singer guy who whose head bobs around and goes through columns as you as you tap. So it's, it's a pretty fun app, and I believe it may be out on Apple TV. Uh, at some point. At some point. Yep. If it gets out there, we'll we'll talk about it. I think it's definitely a nice, simple interface that that remote would handle very well. I think we've come to the end of our show here. You got you guys want to tell us where everybody can find you on the Twitterverse? Yeah, you can find me at AJ Robinson. Uh, you can find me at Alex Argo. And I'm at Sam Quarter. The podcast is at Shared Inst. And we do welcome any and all feedback. You can reach the podcast via email at sharedinstancepodcast at gmail.com. And also, ratings and reviews are very appreciated. See you guys later. Mm-hmm.